Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we finish up our study in the book of Philippians. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message entitled, A Fond Farewell, from Philippians 4, 21 and 22. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment and invite you to come and worship with us at Calvary Baptist Church. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. If you have a specific question, let me encourage you to reach out. That's at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or through social media, one of our profiles, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, or if you'd like to call, you can do that, 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is wrapping up our study in the book of Philippians. Let's listen together. We've come to the conclusion of the uh, book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is actually, if I've counted correctly, message number 20 in this series. I have uh, shared 18 of those, or this will be my 18th message. Pastor Dan, a couple of others, at least a couple of others. And uh, we're going to try to wind up this little book. Uh, Such an encouragement, such a great message. Uh, Not only was it for the Philippians 2,000 years ago, but for us as well, because God has given this message for Calvary Baptist Church in Fayetteville, living here uh, in the 21st century. Are we in the 21st? 21st, right? Is that right? I get my centuries all mixed up. When you live to be my age, you've experienced several of them, right? These last couple of words, a couple of verses uh, of Philippians chapter 4 read like this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I'm so thankful he didn't finish his letter by saying, yours truly, the Apostle Paul. Although he was theirs, truly. I'm so glad that he didn't finish this letter by saying, sincerely, or until we meet again. But certainly he was sincere. And we've already read in this letter that he was anticipating seeing them again. Now, he did not know for sure whether he was going to survive his imprisonment. He thought that it would be very likely that after his meeting with Caesar, because he had requested that, he had been granted that, he was on the waiting list, And he thought that very likely he was going to be killed, to be executed. But, you know, as believers know, it's either going to be here, there, or in the air that we're going to see one another again. Amen? That even if he did not see them again in this life, he would see them again on the other side of death. And it's so interesting to me that that Paul ends his letter with much the same message as he began this letter. He began in verse 2 of chapter 1 by saying, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets to the last verse, and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. For the Apostle Paul, everything in the Christian life begins and ends with grace. Everything depended upon the grace of the Lord. And he said, mentioned grace again in chapter 1 and verse 7 when he said that uh, they had been partakers with him of grace. Now we're going to talk about that more in the points of the message, but I want to just drive home the truth that grace was the heart of Paul's message. He wasn't preaching a salvation by works. He wasn't preaching some kind of human attainment. He was not saying that there's anything you can do or I can do to earn our way into God's favor or into God's blessing, that everything begins and ends with the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God upon our lives, upon the grace of God. Now, there is another concept in this letter to the Philippians. I've tried to think, how do I need to bring this series to a close? How do we, how do we summarize uh, the heart of this message? And there's so many different things. We could talk about joy and about rejoicing because that was one of the major themes. We could talk more about grace because grace permeates every part of this story. We could go back to the hymn of Christ in chapter 2, that hymn that was evidently sung, if not in Paul's day, then certainly in the days after that, in the early years of the church, that hymn that talked about how Christ humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. But because of that, how the Father highly exalted him, gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Certainly that message and that song could be preached every single Sunday and it would never get old. But I want to pick up another concept. We talked about this a little bit during the course of the message, but we never picked up the five times that it's mentioned and to see how these uh, expressions of one particular word are woven together to describe their lives and to describe ours. It is the concept or the idea of fellowship. Fellowship. In the Greek language, <clears throat> excuse me, the word is koinonia. And it's mentioned in various forms at least five times in these four chapters. And it describes what God's people have in common, what the Philippians and Paul had in common, what they fellowshiped around. Now, oftentimes today you mention fellowship and you think of, well, that's kind of like coffee and cake after morning services or after our life group, a, a time of snacking and talking about almost beating the Crimson Tide of Alabama. 
And I'm going to tell you what, almost is just about as good as a win when you're, when you're facing Alabama, right? But fellowship is so much more than that. Fellowship in the Bible is something much deeper. Something much more supernatural. Something much more spiritual. For every true believer in this congregation this morning, there is something that is deeply, deeply supernatural that ties us together. It's the fellowship that we know in the Spirit. Someone said in describing fellowship, it was an old country preacher, and he wasn't schooled in the ministry, and he says, well, I guess it's kind of like two fellows in the same ship, but it's really much more than that. Fellowship is a sharing of souls and a sharing of life. It has to do with the life-shaping blessings, blessings that come from knowing and serving Jesus Christ. So let me walk through them pretty quickly. And I want to, first of all, give you a key truth, and then I'll begin to list for you these five times. The key truth is this. You've heard me say it on many times, many occasions, that God's people are united by the highest common denominator of all. And it is the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Now keep in mind, every people group, whether it is an ethnicity or some kind of organization, either a religious or secular organization, whether it is a club or a team or something else, every group of human beings is united by something. Right now, while we are in the comfort and safety or presumed safety of this place, there are those a half a world away that hate one another, and yet they are together united around one thing, and it is this. They will not be satisfied till every Jewish person is wiped off of the face of this planet. It brings together people who are natural enemies to one another, who have been killing each other for years, but yet they will agree around one thing, and that is Israel has no right to exist in this land. So you see, every group, whoever it is, finds a common denominator. In the flesh, apart from Christ, Every group, no matter how well-intended that it is, will ultimately kind of, kind of circle down to the least common denominator. And it's usually not good. But Christians, we spiral upwards to the highest common denominator because what we have in common ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit who lives within us. Now notice that this truth also exists. You cannot love God as you should unless you love your brothers and, and sisters in Christ as you should love them. You cannot be enemies 
or angry with or you cannot despise or gossip or not love your brothers and sisters in Christ and still think that you love God. You cannot love God as you should if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ as you should. Now, with that in mind, notice the first time Paul mentions this Greek word koinonia, and he's going to mention it with several different words in this book. He's going to talk about fellowship. He's going to talk about partnership. He's going to talk about being partakers and about participating. But understand, every time these words are used, it's the same word in the Greek. It's fellowship. It's koinonia. It's a sharing of souls, a sharing of mission, a sharing of this highest common denominator, God, in our lives. First of all, he says in chapter 1 that these people are fellowshippers, if you'll allow me to use that word, in the gospel, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And here it comes. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He is thanking God for these people, for this church. And he is thanking them for their partnership, their fellowship, their sharing what they share together in the gospel. Beloved, one thing holds us together. And it is the Spirit of God, the presence of God, but the only way we know Him and have Him in our hearts is because of the gospel that has been preached to you and me. I remember hearing that gospel and it making sense to me for the first time when I was nine years old and I surrendered my life to Christ. And understand it was the gospel that makes the difference. Listen to what Kent Hughes, Pastor Kent Hughes, says about these verses. Here, Paul introduces the vigorous fellowship that rose from their mutual commitment to the gospel. The spiritual glue of their fellowship was, of course, the three-way bond between Paul and the Philippians and Christ, which came from their union with Christ. This provided them with cohesion and focus that transcended mere human fellowship. Together they were a community of brothers and sisters in Christ bound together by a great quest that was nothing less than the evangelization of the Gentile world, a quest they had pursued from the very first day. He's saying that it was this commitment to see that the world heard the gospel, to see that the Great Commission was completed. They were operating as though it could be done in their day. Here we are 2,000 years later, and it's still not complete. That's why we have a Life Word Sunday next Sunday. That's why more important than our life groups holding us together are our fun and fellowship times holding us together. More important than picnics in the park is our mutual commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is part of the fellowship we share. They were 
partners, fellowshippers in the gospel. And so are we. The second time he mentions this word is in verse 7 of chapter 1. And it reads like this. And I begin with verse 6 because you need to be reminded of verse 6. And so do I. And I'm sure of this, that he, speaking of God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now here's verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all, here's the word koinonia, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now the first time he referred to his fellow believers as partners. And now he refers to them as partakers. In both cases, it is the word fellowship. For we fellowship in the gospel. And we are fellowshippers of grace. The grace and the goodness. The favor of God. Now, there's an eye-opening truth about this grace he's talking about here. Here he's not talking primarily about the saving grace of God that we experienced at the moment of salvation. He's not talking about saving grace. He's not talking about believing grace, although all other graces flow from that. He is talking about a grace of suffering, a grace of sacrifice, a grace of struggling for the gospel. This struggle is a grace gift from God. He's saying to these believers, you have partaken with me of grace. How? Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Just as I have been beaten, just as I have been shipwrecked, just as I have been imprisoned, and I'm in prison right now here in Rome, in all of these things, this suffering is a suffering, it is a grace gift from God that he gives to us that we have the privilege to experience. And these Philippians were experiencing persecution in Philippi also. And he said, you are a fellow partaker. We fellowship together in this suffering. I'll touch more on that suffering in just a moment because he's going to flesh it out even more. But understand this. In Paul's theology and thinking, suffering for the gospel was a grace of God, was God's good gift. And when the Philippians fellowshiped in Paul's sufferings, they partook of grace alongside of him. Though 850 miles of dangerous, treacherous travel separated them, though they had no means of mass and prompt communication like we have today, no cell phones, no internet, no instant messaging, though they were separated by such a distance, they were fellowshippers together. They were sharing together. 
this blessing of knowing the gospel and of suffering for the gospel and knowing the grace of God. The third time he mentions this is in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, here it is, any participation, that's koinonia, fellowship, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And you see here, he's describing how the fellowship they share in the Spirit is a fellowship that should result in unity and oneness as a church, as a local body of Christ. Now, Paul is referred to his fellow believers as partners, fellowshippers in the gospel, as partakers, as fellowshippers of God's grace. Now he describes them as participants in the Spirit, fellowshippers in the Spirit. Now what is this fellowship in the Spirit? Where can we have that defined for us? I believe the best definition of all is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Listen to these words. For just as the body, speaking of the body of Christ, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit. We were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He's talking about conversion. He's talking about the new birth. We, in one spirit, were all baptized, spirit baptized into one body. Now understand this. I was taught for years that that baptism is describing water baptism. It is not water baptism. It is spirit baptism, if for no other reason than for this. If water baptism puts you in the body of Christ, then we need to join hearts and hands with our Church of Christ brothers and sisters because we would be preaching the same thing, that water baptism is what saves you. It is spirit baptism that saves a person. It is water baptism that is the outward testimony to the world of the inward uh, event of salvation, of spirit baptism that has happened to us. For in one spirit... We are all baptized into one body. We are fellowshippers in the Spirit. What has happened to me has happened to you. And what has happened to you has happened to him and her. We share the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, making us one with God and one with each other. And if you go over to the very end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, you find these words. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. 
Count up the one another's as I read. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Now, we really advocate the one another's here, but I'm going to give you a pass on the holy kiss part. All right, I'll give my wife a holy kiss. I'll give you a holy handshake, a holy fist bump, a holy hug. But uh, I believe the holy kiss was something a little bit cultural to that day and time. And if it's okay with you, we'll give you a pass on that one also. But comfort one another. Agree with one another. Greet one another. He's talking about unity. Why? Because you're a sharer of the Spirit. The Spirit has made you one. Now listen to this Trinitarian benediction to the, uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's Jesus, and the love of God, there's the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was talking about when he said to the Philippian church that we share a participation, a fellowship in the Spirit. Number four, fellowshippers in his suffering. We already touched on this under grace, but here he makes it more specific. Chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, fellowship in his suffering. The word share is koinonia, fellowship, becoming like him in his death. Paul's desire to grow into full maturity in Christ and to become Christ-like himself. God's goal, by the way, not just for apostles, but for every believer in Christ. To grow to maturity, to become like Jesus. Paul was so committed to that, his desire was so great, that he said, I want to know not only the power of his resurrection, because there are some things that can't be learned through power and victory. There are some things that can only be learned through pain and suffering and loss. So I want to know him. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to share in those as well. He was actually welcoming suffering, and he desired to walk through the fire with Jesus. He followed those words up with using expressions like, this one thing I do. I strain, I push, I lean towards the finish line to what is ahead. I press on, I keep on no matter what for the goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, listen to me. There will be crowns given to those who suffer for Christ who are willing to sacrifice themselves in fellowship with Paul and other sufferers 
there will be crowns bestowed upon those on the day of judgment and rewards. Are you going to win one? What a brotherhood. What a company of the courageous. May we be numbered among them. Paul said, we are fellowshippers in his suffering. And number five, we are fellowshippers in ministry. And this point helps us transition to next Sunday, Life Word Sunday. Chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Yet it was kind of you to share, that means to have fellowship in, to share my trouble. I'll explain what that is in a moment. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, that's fellowship, that's koinonia again, into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So, what is the depth of our fellowship together? Well, according to Paul's letter to the Philippians, there's a fellowship in the gospel, a fellowship of grace, a fellowship in the spirit, a fellowship in suffering. There's also a fellowship in ministry. Now, Paul refers to it as my trouble. You share, you are blessed. It was kind of you to share, to have fellowship with me in my trouble. What was his trouble? His trouble had to do with his ministry. His trouble had to do with about needing the support of God's people to be able to carry on, specifically the financial and material support that made it possible. And when he talks about the Philippians sharing in this way, he's talking about how they have been so faithful to continue to support him for 10 years now. For 10 years, they had been supporting him financially in his ministry when no one else was doing that. That as he traveled, as he went on to other places, Berea, Corinth, so many other places where churches were started, the Philippians were the ones supporting him financially to make that possible. And he's saying what you were doing is that you are participating in what is taking place in all of those locations. Every soul that gets saved, every church that is planted, you have a part in that. We fellowship together in that because of your support. The fellowship described in these verses refers to the generous sharing of material possessions, specifically money, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These Philippians saw beyond the borders of their city limits. They weren't concerned just with a specific neighborhood in their town. They saw the world. Places that they would never go heard the gospel because they helped to send. Dear friends, understand this. The key to material blessings is generosity. Is generosity. 
Now, it's possible that we have somebody here today. I don't know. I don't know your heart. We may have some naturally stingy people in this congregation. That's possible. I mean, you don't have to get too many people together till the stingy one shows up. Okay? It's, it's one of those things. It's just a reality. But the key to material blessings, according to the Bible, is generosity. It could be that someone here is saying to themselves, and it is something they say to one another, husband and wife, you know, if and when things are better for us financially, then we will be generous. Once we get these bills paid off, or out from underneath this hardship over here, or once we get a raise at work that we deserve, once we, once we have more, we will be more generous. No, you won't. You're kidding yourself. If you don't have a generous heart when you have little, you are not going to have a generous heart when you have a lot. It doesn't work that way. You know, gaining more doesn't make you more generous. You either have a generous heart or you don't. Jesus had a generous heart. Paul had a generous heart. The Philippian believers had a generous heart. This is what Jesus said about that. He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Now, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to give to you, and in response, I want you to give. He said, first of all, you give. Then it will be given to you. How will it be given to you? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Now, here's the principle. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Give a stingy offering, you'll get a stingy return. Be generous and give generously, and generously it will come back to you. Now I realize that's a little bit of a lengthy reading, but it basically draws this to a close. Hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse, and also chapter 9. I'm going to read some verses from both chapters. First of all, chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, now Corinth is down in Greece, and he's writing to these people of Greece in Corinth about some churches up in Macedonia to the north. Guess who the first church of Macedonia was? It was Philippi, okay? It was Philippi. It also included Berea and maybe one or two others. He said, listen, here is the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For, now listen to the description, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. How do joy and affliction even get mentioned in the same sentence? He's talking about the suffering of the Philippians. And he's talking about in spite of that, they were joyful. He talked about joy and rejoicing all through his letter to the Philippians. How in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, those two things, poverty and joy married together, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now folks, that's countercultural. That's counterintuitive. Some say it can't ever work that way, but it did. Now listen, he, he explains it. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, but he realized they gave more than their means. They gave and beyond their means they gave. And they did it of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I told them, listen, because of your hardship and because of your lack and because of your own need, I won't compel you to give. And yet they begged him to participate. They didn't want to be let off the hook. Why? Because of the fellowship they had in the gospel. Because of the fellowship they had because of the grace of God. Because they fellowshiped in their suffering. Because they fellowshiped in ministry. They gave deeply. And this, they didn't give as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. Why could they give beyond their means? Because they gave themselves to God. And when you give yourself to God, you realize, guess what? Everything you own and everything you have has to be given to God also. Don't talk about giving him your heart and holding out your checkbook. Don't talk about giving him your life and holding out on your possessions when there are people in need. That is that's so contradictory to itself. When you give yourself to the Lord, you give what you have to the Lord also. And he went on to say in that same chapter, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, by their example, to prove that your love also is genuine. And now he gets to the heart. This is why we give even out of our need. This is why we should be generous. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus was rich and became poor so that you could become a Christian. If you're going to follow in his footsteps, do the same. Do the same. And then he says this in chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you may abound in every good work. And he finishes those two chapters about generosity and about giving to the Lord. And he says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God has been so good to you. God has been so good to me. He's given us gifts that are beyond our ability to recount or to express or to describe. Don't be caught being stingy. It's so unchristian. The Christian life is all about generosity. And this church, they were fellowshippers in the ministry in that they gave to the ministry. And so everything that happened in Paul's ministry was their fruit as well. And God has rewarded them and will continue to reward them for their faithfulness. Just like when you give your tithes and offerings, not only for the ministry of this church, but for the ministry beyond these walls, understand you're investing in the kingdom of God and every soul that gets led to the Lord by that missionary or by that radio broadcast or in some other way that the gospel gets spread is a part of your reward as well. Paul loved the Philippians church. I hope that has come through to you in recent weeks. Paul loved this church. These people were special to him. I would like to think that Calvary Church would be the kind of church that Paul would love too. I know it's the kind of church that Jesus loves, but he loves us in spite of ourselves, right? But I would hope that we would be the kind of church that because of our joy, because of the celebration of God's grace, because of all that we fellowship and have in common in the Spirit and as followers of Christ, that we would live beyond earthbound affections, that we would know Christ-like love for one another and Christ-like love for all that are His. They shared the fellowship of the gospel it was a sacred fellowship. They shared the fellowship of God's grace. They shared the fellowship of the Spirit. They shared the fellowship of suffering for Christ. And they shared the fellowship of generously giving of their means to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's why Paul finishes this letter with these words of encouragement and confirmation. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Not only that, all the saints over here in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How encouraging it must have been for suffering saints 850 miles away to know that some of Caesar's household were fellow believers praying for them, encouraging them. And he leaves them with the most important message you could leave a church with. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May that same grace be with us today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message 
this letter from Paul to these believers. Help us to remember it's a letter that you sent to us as well. May we be a Philippian-style church, loves one another, loves the work of God, and is devoted to it. Father, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, draw us closer to you. I pray that you would accomplish your will in each of our lives. We pray that you'd please forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.